Blog Talk Radio. Howdy, mofos. Welcome to the show. All right, so CNN's going to have a lot of town halls this week. I don't know if you heard, but um, hold on. Let me actually pull up the tweet, and I'll tell you guys which days have which candidates. Mm. It's mostly lower, lower tier candidates at the moment. But, nonetheless, I feel like I should share this information with you. Um, All right, so here's what CNN has lined up this week. Kirsten Jellobrand on Tuesday. Wednesday is Jay Inslee. Thursday is Julian Castro. And then fast forward all the way till the 14th, which is, what, three days ahead of that. You have Marianne Williamson. And then on 14th, they do a double with Andrew Yang on the 14th also. You know, that's kind of fucked up, if you ask me. The, uh, how for some people, whoa, the fuck is that? how for some people they have um, like a full hour and then for others they do, what, 30 minutes or something like that? Unless they're do, unless they're out maybe I'm speaking out of line here. I'm really not sure. It's definitely possible that they did the same amount of time. I'm thinking back to uh, Booty Judge and Tulsi Gabbard. Did they do a full hour for each or did they do 30 minutes for each? W- whatever. Either way, I'm unsure. But uh, <clears throat> CNN's got a bunch of town halls lined up, so... I'm going to be uh, quite the busy man, if I don't say so myself. I'm not sure if there's a show this Thursday. We might um, do a secular talking smack either on Wednesday evening or Thursday evening. 
Um, so it might be a little bit of a different schedule this week coming up. Um, but a lot of stuff to get to today. So we have Trump and the mainstream media are flat out delusional. And um, the video that I'm about to lead with that I'm about to show you absolutely proves that. Also, a little bit of an impromptu segment that I'm going to get to. I'm not sure when. i got to find a place to squeeze it in here. But there's a new non-scandal scandal that they're using against our dad. Um, and it involves the border. So we're going to listen to that. And then I have quite a bit to say about it. Bill Maher and his panel are in today's show. They uh, fall all over themselves defending... CNN and MSNBC. So, yeah. There's just a lot of stuff to get to, man. There's just a lot of stuff to talk about. And Donald Trump and his Israel policies, and oh, the the degree to which he sold out to billionaires is unbelievable. The fake populism stuff is so dead and gone at this point. He was at this, like, retreat with uh, multiple billionaires who were giving him his marching orders. So, Let's jump into it without further ado. Oh, and Pat Robertson. I forgot to mention that. Pat Robertson's in today's show also. You don't want to miss that segment. That's later on. But um, let's start with Fox Business and how insane they are. Here we go. So President Trump and the mainstream media are flat-out delusional at this point. You're about to watch a clip here that... I think proves it. This is Fox Business Network. And look at the narrative they're setting up. And for the record here, this is the dominant narrative, not just on Fox Business, not just on Fox News, but all throughout mainstream media. So let's take a look. And then I have quite a bit to say about this. Venezuela is a mess. This is what socialism brings. You elect a socialist here, you'll have the same exact countries you have in Venezuela. President Trump again saying a socialist would ruin the United States, but now talk in D.C. is that Democrats fear that it's looking more and more like Trump versus Bernie Sanders in 2020. Even potential 2020 contender Howard Schultz says that Trump will win if Democrats nominate a socialist like Bernie Sanders. If a Democrat runs who resembles uh, Bernie Sanders, who says he's a democratic socialist. Donald Trump is going to get reelected. Let's get Washington Times editor Charles Hurt in here for his opinion. What's your take, a landslide or a horse race here with Bernie? Oh, I think that would be a landslide, no doubt at all. And I think that the, the interesting thing about the town hall uh, last night with, um, uh, with Schultz just revealed just how far left the Democratic Party has sort of found itself wandering off into the arms of open borders and, and of course, socialism. And I think he's exactly right that if, uh, you know, if Democrats go with somebody like Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump is going to have a, a field day with him. You remember back in the day when you would write an essay or something or a paper uh, in high school and you would just kind of be trying to fill the space on the page because you have to have a minimum number of words and you'd say something that's a, a statement that's supposed to be a factual claim, and then uh, the teacher would write in her or his red pen, citation needed, and then they put a big old circle around it and put an arrow pointing to the spot. That's what I just watched right there. That's what that is. That's citation needed all day long. How many times have you heard this? Have I heard this argument? Well, if it's Donald Trump versus Bernard Sanders, 
It's going to be a landslide. It's going to be a landslide. Actually, in a weird way, they're correct, but they're correct in the opposite direction. All the polling shows, it will be a landslide. It'll be a landslide for Bernie Sanders. Hear me now, quote me later. I'm going to make a prediction. I'm getting on the record here. Assuming Bernie Sanders wins the primary. Now, that's the hard part. That is the hard part. Winning the primary is the hard part. But assuming he wins the primary, if it is the general versus Trump and Bernie, Bernie Sanders will win in a landslide. Now, uh, I'm the opposite of these idiots. The reason I say that is because of the evidence, is because of the polling. Uh, In 2016, and the polls show the same thing today, by the way, Bernie Sanders, in the average of polls in a head-to-head matchup against Donald Trump, was up 12 points. Some polls had him up nearly 20 points. Bernie Sanders does well in the exact places that a Democrat needs to do well in order to win the national election. The reason Hillary lost was the Rust Belt, full stop. That's why she lost. That one spot of the country, it was something like 70,000 votes that swung the election in favor of Trump. And wow, look at that. Lo and behold, Hillary didn't step foot in many of those states. And uh, Donald Trump was there the end of the election, hammering away on NAFTA, hammering away on the free trade deals and TPP, saying, hey, I'm going to keep your jobs here. So you saw a lot of people who went for Obama twice flip to go for Trump. So they went for the fake populist as opposed to the establishment candidate. Bernie is an anti-establishment candidate and a populist candidate, and he actually means it. And these people know it. So, I mean, honestly, you have to know nothing about politics to look at Trump versus Bernie and be convinced that it's going to be a landslide in the direction of Donald Trump. Bernie Sanders kneecaps all of Trump's appeal to, to those voters who voted for Obama twice and then went to Donald Trump. He kneecaps all the appeals. He's got all the upsides, the populism, except it's real in the case of Bernie. The anti-establishment um, you know, flavor, except it's real in the case of Bernie Sanders. He's got none of the downsides. A lot of those people uh, overlooked Trump's bigotry because they were just like, I don't know, I think he's going to keep my job here. Again, this is the 70,000 votes in the Rust Belt that were super important. So when you have an actual populist anti-establishment candidate who's going to fight for working people, what do you think is going to happen? We know what's going to happen. The polling shows what's going to happen. Bernie Sanders would win in a landslide if it's Bernie versus Donald Trump. But this is, the, this is the thing. And I was tweeting about this yesterday. It is, frankly, stunning how conventional wisdom starts, and then it's parroted so much, and then all the idiots in D.C. believe it. Like, they actually believe. That's right. If it's Bernie versus Trump, Trump is going to win in a landslide. They actually believe that based on nothing. Based on nothing. And this reminds me of when... It became establishment bubble wisdom for um, the Republican establishment, the elites in the Republican Party. The Mitt Romney is obviously going to beat uh, Barack Obama. And it didn't matter how much polling came in that said, no, actually, Obama's leading by a very strong amount here, and he's leading in the places that matter. Um, they were just like, no, I think uh, Mitt Romney's going to win. Some of them even went as far as, say, like Larry Kudlow, who now is fucking running our economy, is in Trump's uh, administration. That's amazing. Um, he famously said Romney's going to win with over 300 electoral votes. And there's a bunch of George Will, a bunch of these supposed uh, Republican intellectuals were all saying things that were dead wrong. So there was another interesting little tidbit in there. I don't know if you caught it, but the host said Democrats now fear it's Trump versus Bernie. 
Now, what do they mean by that? What do they mean Democrats fear that? Well, what they mean is the Democrats in the establishment, that they're worried, oh, my God, it's going to be Trump versus Bernie. And they think, well, obviously, Bernie's not going to win. Again, this really reminds me back to recycle all the way back to 2015, 2016, when the Republican establishment was like, we better get our beloved Jeb Bush to be our nominee or else we're going to lose with Donald Trump. Like, that's what, that, that's what this reminds me of. Oh, shit, Jeb isn't doing well. Well, I hope the wonderful and ready Marco Rubio wins so that we can win the election. Like, they don't know anything, and they think they know it all. They really don't know dick. They don't know anything. Um, so it's the Democrats in Washington, D.C. It's the Democratic establishment. It's the Chuck Schumers. It's the Nancy Pelosi's. It's the Hillary Clinton's. It's even the Barack Obama's who are like, oh, my God, if it's Bernie, we're in trouble. No, bitch, if it's Bernie, the left wins. But maybe that's what you're really afraid of. Maybe that's what you're really afraid of. Um, And then the final thing which I have to address is you actually see a little microcosm of why Bernie would win in a landslide against Trump in this clip here. Because did you catch what uh, Trump said at the beginning there? And I know there was a lot of, you know, helicopter noise or airplane noise in the background, so it was hard to hear. But he said... Uh, oh, if the U.S., uh, if this country elects a socialist, then we're going to turn into Venezuela. That kind of argument is insulting to anybody. Take politics out of it. The only people that that works on is like that tiny sliver, that 25% hardcore far-right base. That's the only people that that argument works on. Because people are not as stupid as you think they are, or they're not as stupid as perhaps you actually are. Because... How many times has Bernie made clear, said over and over, no, what I'm referring to is Denmark, what I'm referring to is Norway, what I'm referring to is Sweden. Like, that's the kind of economy I want. That's the kind of system I want. And, well, look at that. They're beating us in virtually every single uh, quantitative important category. They're beating us in quality of life. They're beating us in health of, of their middle class. They have better health care systems than we do. They have more paid vacation time. They're kicking our ass cheeks, bro. They're destroying us. They're destroying us. And when you keep, Venezuela, Venezuela. They do this with Venezuela. They um, sometimes the older ones do with the Soviet Union. Sometimes they do Cuba. They'll throw Cuba in there. Cuba, to Cuba. Can you make one not incredibly hacky, shitty argument, please? Just one. I'll take just one, dude. Just one. Like, make me, make me have to stop and think about it. Like, hit me with something that's not a complete and utter straw man to make me have to stop and think about it where I go, hmm, that's a new one. I've never heard of this one. How am I going to address this argument? But no, they go like right to the bottom of the barrel to the hackiest shit you've ever heard in your life, and they throw it out there, and they are insulting the intelligence of the American people, because people know that's not what Bernie's talking about. People know he doesn't want a Venezuelan-style system. And then also, by the way, it's kind of amazing how the same people who are fucking working overtime to tank the Venezuelan economy and putting sanctions and doing everything negative under the sun turn around and go, aha, see, that style of government failed. Well, maybe you played a little fucking part in that by trying to routinely overthrow the goddamn government and by doing sanctions out the wazoo. I'm not saying the U.S. is totally responsible for the situation over there, but certainly in part we're responsible for it. So they just, it's so stupid. And I mean, what a dumb notion, man. What a stupid notion. 
And you really think people aren't going to catch on to that? And that's the thing is, bring this up to Bernie in a debate, and are you fucking kidding me? Bitch, get that shit out of here, bro. What are you talking about? Venezuela? Like, their talking points only work when nobody's there to respond to it. <laughs> like, that's the only time it works, and even then it doesn't really work. But in their mind, they think it works. But when you got somebody there who's able to logically do a rebuttal to what you're saying, you're going to be left fucking speechless. So what are you going to do, Don? What are you going to do? I got news for you. You're not going to be able to pull the same kind of shit you're able to successfully pull on Hillary. Where well, your husband did NAFTA. Your husband did NAFTA, and you, you're bad. You did, made bad decisions. And it works, because Hillary kind of did make a lot of shitty decisions. What are you going to do against Bernie? Ah, crazy Bernie. He's, he's so crazy. He's so incredibly crazy. I'm, many, many people are saying this. It's unbelievable, I have to tell you. And uh, Bernie, you go, well, Don, if it's crazy for me to want everybody in this country to have health care, then I guess you could call me crazy. And the audience will, bah, yeah, Bernie Sanders. So you have to stop embarrassing yourself. But that's the thing. I, I actually don't want them to stop embarrassing themselves because it helps us. It absolutely helps us. And if this is all you have, if all you have is, and I've seen it nonstop, man. I've seen it nonstop. If all you have is Venezuela and the American people don't want this, they do want it. That's what all the polls show. You name the issue, I will show you how Bernie Sanders' position on it is with the overwhelming majority of the American people. Overwhelming majority. So it is what they want, and he's not talking about Venezuela. And do you have any non-shitty arguments? I'm waiting for the most extreme ones. They're coming at some point. You know, Bernie's a socialist. You know, Hitler was a national socialist. I'm just stating facts over here, bro. I'm saying, I'm not saying Bernie's like a Nazi. I'm not saying Bernie's like a Nazi, but I am saying socialist, national socialist. You put two and two together, you know what I'm saying? Go ahead, man. Make, keep making these arguments. We'll laugh our way right into the White House. You want to know why? Because as you're saying dumb shit like that, Bernie's out there saying we need to get a living wage. Too many people in this country are struggling. We need to get Medicare for all. We still have 29 million people who are uninsured and million mo- millions more who are underinsured. We need to do an infrastructure deal for this country because our infrastructure gets a grade of D+. We need to end our dumb wars because we got eight of them going on right now, and many of them are offensive in nature and illegal. So go ahead. Go ahead. You keep going down this path. You keep going down this path. But that's the thing. They try to repeat this argument over and over so that it, it, they're trying to steer the ship from the top down as they pretend like they're just reflecting public opinion. That's the trick they do. Bernie, I mean, people are saying... He wants to make this country Venezuela, so obviously Trump will win in a landslide. And they want to say that enough to make people go, hey, I guess, oh, yeah, uh, Bernie would lose in a landslide, and uh, he wants to make us Venezuela or whatever. But I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work because the media has lost its power in this country to a large extent. And I told you a thousand times, these perpetual attacks now on Bernie Sanders are only going to help Bernie Sanders. And when you have Donald Trump showing that he's a one-trick pony, and this is all he has for Bernie, Crazy Bernie, <laughs> Venezuela. What are you going to do when Bernie's there to smack your bullshit down? What are you going to do? Here's the answer. Nothing. You're going to lose, and you're going to lose in a landslide. And again, unlike these jackasses, I have polling to back up what I'm saying. They have buckets.
Okay. Um, actually, you know what? I want to do the Bernie segment now, so let me just pull up a quick little... Where'd it go? Fuck you. Pull it up. Okay. Click on this here. Add photo. Add this. Pull this all the way back to here. Okay. Doing a little impromptu Bernie segment here. So we have another non-scandal scandal involving America's dad, Bernie Sanders. Um, mainstream media outlets are, are pumping this out as much as possible to try to be like, ah, gotcha, gotcha. This is going to make people dislike you, right? Does this make people dislike Bernie more? Let's run it 24-7. So um, it was a question about the border, and then he responded in a very measured, reasonable way with a a straightforward position that I think it's hard to find fault with, but nonetheless, um, they are trying to make it seem like this is a big deal and there's going to be a backlash to it. Not so sure about that. Take a look. You were to have open borders in our society today. Um, how would you deal with the social services connected with uh, opening the borders, such as health care, med- medical care? And, Who do you think is suggested in opening the borders? Well, um, that you're an activist for opening for... No, I'm not afraid of me getting your information wrong. That's not my view. Okay, I'm not going to I think what we need is comprehensive immigration reform. That is not simply... You, you're quite right. If, you, if your point is you open the borders, my God, you know, there's a lot of poverty in this world, and you're going to have people from all over the world, and I, I, I don't think that's something that we can do at this point. Can't do it. So that is not my position. Wow, oh my God, what an unreasonable position. So let me explain you what they're trying to do. They're trying to take this clip, pump it out in mainstream media outlets, and then what they're trying to do is make Bernie Sanders' base abandon him, his most ardent supporters, because they're trying to say, oh, you guys support open borders. He doesn't support open borders. Got him. That's what this is. That's what this is. That's why this particular story, this particular clip, is blowing up, and they're pumping it out on purpose. Now, what's the reality of the situation? There isn't a single, not a single politician in this country at the national level who supports open borders. In fact, this is an argument that the far right strawmans the left and says, all these lefties are for open borders. Well, we're not for open borders. And they do that because they know it's an easy argument that they'd win 10 out of 10 times if indeed people on the left were supporting open borders. But they don't. So they argue that the left does so they can turn around and go, see, we're the reasonable ones. We now strawman the opposition to say they support something that they don't support. And now we're going to fucking, you know, high step into the end zone here acting like we nailed it. But again, the, the entire conversation is ludicrous because there's not a single national politician in this country, no matter how far left you go, that supports open borders. In my experience, you know who I've come across that supports open borders? More libertarians than anything else. 
because libertarians really have like a principled stance against the government. They want to decentralize everything as much as humanly possible. And they think that it's beneficial for the economy if you have totally open uh, borders where you can have goods and services go across borders and you can have uh, labor go uh, across borders and it's overall a net positive for the economy if you don't have what they view as an arbitrary restriction of these, you know, arbitrary lines separating one place from another place. They're way more libertarians, traditional libertarians, uh, American-style libertarians, um, who support that. In my experience, that's what I've seen. Now, are there perhaps some people who are not at all involved in politics officially, who are not politicians on the left, who support no borders or open borders? I'm sure there are, but they're not nearly as many as these guys are pretending that they are, and they have absolutely no power. And I'm sure most of them, even if you drill down, they'll say, well, yeah, but that has to come in tandem with a bunch of like overarching giant economic reforms in this country and domestic reforms in this country, because if you do it now, it's totally nonsensical. Listen, borders, they're not inherently racist or bigoted or bad or wrong, okay? I mean, really, when it comes down to it, in the current state of affairs around, around the world when it comes to politics, borders are necessary just for organization's sake. Because if you don't have borders, but you believe in democratic uh, representation as we all do or we're all supposed to, well, then the only other option is there's no borders and we believe in democratic representation. So, yeah, we would need like a one world government type system where we all make these decisions. And we don't have that. And if you ask people left and right, the overwhelming majority will say we don't want that. That is far too centralized of a system. It should be more decentralized, which is why having nation states is, uh, honestly, it makes sense from a left-wing perspective. It makes sense simply from a, a practical perspective and an organizational perspective. How are we going to structure this, this area that we live in and the decisions that we make and, and the economy and things of that nature? How are we going to structure it? Well, if we break it up into little, uh, into separate parts, so you have states and then you also have the country where you have uh, borders at, at di- different levels and you can determine like, okay, what congressperson do you elect to represent your district? And then what senator do you elect to represent your state? And then who's going to be the president that you elect to represent your country? It's not like the whole idea of having, uh, you know, borders or lines that distinguish certain things. It's not like that whole idea is inherently illegitimate. It makes sense from a left-wing perspective solely from an organizational perspective. You have to make decisions and you have to run stuff and it's easier to run it the smaller it is. So breaking it up in certain ways makes perfect sense just to have everything function relatively smoothly. But that's the thing is, okay, so now what I'm forced to do is come out here and make these very basic arguments. I think most of you just kind of know without me even having to make them on some core level, you know, but I have to come out here and say it because apparently the interpretation of the establishment is that like everybody on the left is foaming at the mouth and saying, let's get rid of all borders when we're not saying that. And they assume that like, we're going to be upset when Bernie Sanders says this when the overwhelming majority of us are not. By the way, you know what the polling is on this? I hope you're sitting down. 
If you're part of the tiny percentage of people that doesn't support any borders at all, I hope you're sitting down. 80% of the American people are against open borders. Wow, what a shock. <laughs> like, that's actually not shocking at all. Nobody should be shocked by that because that's like, duh. It's one of the things you go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But 80%, man. So you're going to, this is like they did with the reparations question. They're like, aha, Bernie doesn't support direct reparations. Well, first of all, none of the other candidates do either. None of them. None of them. None of them support it. And second of all, that's actually the overwhelmingly popular position. So there, there's no gotcha there. Same thing with borders. Aha, Bernie doesn't support open borders. So congratulations, Bernie. You have 80% of the country on your side. Now, but they're even more with Bernie Sanders. Why? Because 80% of the country is against open borders or no borders. But 75% of the country says immigration is a net positive thing. So some people might say, oh, there's a contradiction there. No, there's not. There's no contradiction at all. There's no contradiction at all. What they're saying is, yeah, I'm not against all borders. What I'm in favor of is having borders, but having an open-minded, tolerant, leftist approach in, for dealing with people coming in the country. And by the way, I pulled this on uh, secular, the Secular Talk Twitter you know, a couple months ago, and the reaction was exactly the same. The thing that won in an overwhelming fashion was um, having borders but having like an open-minded, tolerant approach to dealing with the flow of people. So in other words, you know, treat immigrants right, have a process to get people in the country, um, don't have strict, insane, arbitrary rules, and be a tolerant society, an open society, a fair society. But yes, of course you can have borders. Like every other fucking country on the planet has borders. That's not inherently bigoted or racist or wrong or bad. So it's just, I, I find it kind of incredible that, I'm telling you, man, conventional wisdom is a son of a bitch because some idiot strategist somewhere makes up what they think the reality is, and then everybody in Washington, D.C. runs with it and acts like it's true. And they really think this is a gotcha against Bernie. Gotcha! You're not in favor of totally opening the borders. Don't you hate them, progressive base? No. <laughs> not at all. Not even in the slightest. I'm not... Because what, what are they going to try to do now? I guarantee you what they're going to try to do is conflate Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump and say, ah Basically the same person, see? This guy is an asshole who wants to separate families, break them up, allow ICE to have literal private prison slavery that they're engaged in right this second. He wants to totally shut down the border. He wants to deport everybody who's an undocumented immigrant. He wants a total and complete shutdown of Muslims. And that guy is the exact same as this guy who's tolerant, open-minded, and pro-immigrant, but he's also in favor of having basic borders because, duh. But that's now the same thing because Bernie's not in favor of open borders. Gotcha. Okay. All right, if you say so. And listen, I got I to gotta say this last part, too, because I think it's important. If you're one of the tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of, this peop- uh, of people who supports open borders or no borders, okay, fine. But just know that you... You are actively feeding into that straw man of the far left that idiots on the far right and in the establishment have. You know what I mean? Like, you have become that stereotype. It's like when, it's like when the far right bashes the, the you know, pink-haired social justice warrior who's shutting down anybody who doesn't agree with them. 
on a college campus from speaking. And then there's like a tiny fraction of the left that like embodies that stereotype. And it's like, okay, uh, thank you. You're not helping at all and you're wrong and you suck. So it'd be the same thing here. If you actually are on the left and you support no borders or open borders or whatever, congratulations for being a, a living advertisement <laughs> to help the right. Because honestly, even though might be a tiny number who are going to go after Bernie on this from the left. Understand, Bernie is 100% repping the complete and utter popular position in this country. And that position is 80% are against open borders or no borders, okay? 80% are against that. But 75%, 75% still say immigration is a positive thing. That is exactly Bernie Sanders' position. Against open borders or no borders, so it's fine to secure the border and fine to have borders for organization's sake, if nothing else. But yeah, immigration is net a good thing for the country, and it's a net positive, and we should welcome, welcome immigrants and be tolerant and open-minded and open-hearted. So it just it, it, it frustrates me that it frustrates me that the establishment media and the far right straw mans the left and Bernie's base, and then they run with it. And most of us are over here like, this isn't a gotcha. And then there's going to be like a tiny fringe who feed right into that stereotype. And by the way, the trick will be, what the establishment will do and what the far right will do, is they will seize on that tiny percent that's like, yes, Bernie is wrong. I want no borders at all. And then they'll further hammer them and continue to insist that that tiny fringe represents the rest of the left. And then that will make the left unappealing to many people who would otherwise totally agree with what we're talking about. Because if they really think like, oh, the left, I guess, is for no borders or open borders, if they really think that, then yeah, that's going to help the right. If they really believe that that's what the left-wing position is. Um, but thankfully, it's not. The polls show overwhelmingly they're for having borders, but also for an open-minded, tolerant approach in dealing with the flow of people. So uh, this isn't a gotcha, but they're going to keep insisting it's a gotcha. And, uh, I mean, I just hope people don't fall for the trick. I really, I really hope people don't fall for the trick. But I have to say, they're being clever, man. They're being crafty. Like, corporate media knows the, soft, knows the flaws in, in, in the game. They know the flaws in the game. And so what was the last one they hit them on? Reparations. Because they're trying to say... How could any black folks on the left support Bernie? He's an old white guy, and he's not even for reparations. Meanwhile, again, every candidate is not for it, and that is also the popular position. They don't tell you that part. In fact, they insist other candidates, or imply other candidates are for it, but it's a divide-and-conquer strategy. Don't look at this furthest left and most anti-establishment candidate who do the best things for everybody in the country. Don't look at him because he's not for reparations. <laughs> Shouldn't you want him to be for that? Please attack him for that. And now they're doing that same trick on another perceived weakness of the left, which is borders. And, and they're trying to get the infighting happening. And they're trying to, to make this backfire on Bernie. It's all tripwires, man. There are tripwires all over the place when it comes to this election. And I said it once. I'll say it again. This is what's going to happen. And it's going to continue to happen. Bernie Sanders, Tulsi Gabbard. Andrew Yang, and even Elizabeth Warren, those four are going to continue to be the four that get almost no positive media coverage, almost none. 
And then meanwhile, all the other candidates kid gloves all day long. Uh, Booty Judge is nonstop with fawning articles. They haven't stopped since he burst onto the scene and the establishment thought, hey, he'll probably play ball. So nonstop fawning coverage. You're going to see the same for Kamala. You're going to see the same um, for Cory Booker, even though he's flailing miserably in the polls. And look for it. You'll see it. It's not that hard to see. It's really not that hard to see. A lot of the, when it's positive stories, what you'll notice is they try to fluff up the personal angle. Because you can't write an article about a corporate Democrat and say, look how wonderful they are on these policies, because they're not. So what do you do? You fluff up the personal angle. You talk about, hmm, they went to, like they're doing with Booty Judge now. He went to an Ivy League school, and he's a Rhodes Scholar. Yes, he has an amazing personal story. I don't hate him myself. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I don't give a fuck. I don't care if you worked at an Arby's. If you're fighting for the right policies, then I'm with you. If there's an inherent elitism to the mainstream media, and it's insufferable. And that's why the actual populist candidates, and even just the semi-populist candidates like Elizabeth Warren, they're going to get destroyed, and the press is going to put them through the ringer. So it's up to us to fight back, and that's what we're doing here. Okay. Now let's go after Donald Trump. So it seems like a long, long time ago that Donald Trump ran for president and he pretended to be populist. He pretended to be anti-establishment. He pretended to be against money and politics. Well, take a look at what's happening now. President Donald Trump met with two controversial Republican billionaires during a trip to Las Vegas. Wow, secret meetings with billionaires. Uh, When Air Force One landed, Trump was greeted by Steve Wynn. Steve Wynn, the former RNC finance chairman who resigned following accusations of sexual misconduct and whose former company was found by Massachusetts uh, regulators last week to have run a long-standing cover-up, greeted Trump on the tarmac in Las Vegas just now. Uh, Quote, Wynn has kept a low profile since resigning his post as CEO of Wynn Resorts in February 2018 after multiple accusations alleging sexual misconduct by Wynn. Since the allegations were made public, Wynn's relationship with the Republican Party has been highlighted by Democrats who note that despite his resignation from his fundraising post, the Republican National Committee has steadfastly refused to return any of the millions he's given, he added. Trump then stopped to see another billionaire Republican donor on way to speak to the Jewish Republican Coalition, quote, President Donald Trump has met privately with a major GOP donor, casino magnate Sheldon Adelson, before speaking at the Republican Jewish Coalition Conference in Las Vegas. The Associated Press reported the Adelsons gave President Donald Trump's campaign $30 million in 2016. During the 2018 midterm elections, Sheldon and his wife, Marianne Adelson, donated at least $112 million in efforts to protect Republican majorities in Congress. The week following the election, uh, Trump announced he would award Miriam Adelson the Presidential Medal of Freedom, America's highest civilian honor. So stop and think about this. Donald Trump, the swashbuckling fake populist, who said, oh, I'm not taking any money. I don't owe these people any favors. He's now meeting secretly with multiple billionaires who are known for financing Republican politics. 
What are you doing? Why are you doing that, buddy? Why are you doing that? This also happens to coincide with Donald Trump turning over Syrian territory to Israel. Just saying, you know what? You can have it. I have hereby announced that you can take it. The fuck is that? You don't have the authority to do that. Doesn't matter. Might makes right in this world. We have the largest military in the world. So Trump's just saying, okay, oh, what are you going to do to stop it? I'm announcing Israel can take it. What are you going to do to stop it, Syria? What are you, you're busy fighting Al-Qaeda over there. What are you going to do? You're going to fight a war against America? Our land, bitch. Our land. And then we just heard the other day Netanyahu announced, oh, we're also just going to annex uh, the West Bank. In classic uh, far-right Israel fashion, they're just like, we're just going to keep taking shit. And now they have a government that is letting them do that and backing them as they do that. And I wonder why that is. Well, one of the reasons is Sheldon Adelson, his top issue is Israel. And he's giving millions and millions of dollars to Donald Trump and the Republican Party. You think that's not factoring into Donald Trump's decision making? It absolutely is. It 100% is. And by the way, this is exactly what Ilhan Omar was talking about when she was viciously smeared as being an anti-Semite and hating all Jews because she said APAC, which is the right-wing Israeli lobby, APAC uh, basically buys politicians in both parties to do their bidding. And lo and behold, we have a, an even clearer example of the president taking money from Sheldon Adelson, whose main issue is Israel, and uh, doing exactly what... Uh, the Netanyahu government of Israel wants. So this is insane. Like, we're seeing the most rank corruption in world history unfold right in front of our faces, and people are shrugging. U.S. is an ally of Israel, so yeah, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means we give them $38 billion in weapons, and we we give them billions of dollars in subsidies, all the time, and meanwhile, we don't even have universal health care here, and they have universal health care there. So we give them all this money, we give them uh, all these weapons, they continue to do an illegal occupation, they expand now. Every couple of years, um, you know, Netanyahu does a, a, a bomb incursion into Gaza and kills 80% civilians, including women and children. And what do we do here? We shrug, and then we lecture everybody else about human rights. The fuck are you talking about? Are you kidding me? And, and Mr. I'm anti-corruption, I'm a populist, Donald Trump, is raising funds from billionaires and doing their bidding. This story alone blows up the myth of Donald Trump. This story alone blows up the myth. Meeting with multiple billionaires and doing their bidding. This little puppet bitch. You think he's his own man? He's not his own man. And he surrounded himself with the worst characters in the world. He fucking packed his administration with Goldman Sachs and, and passed a massive tax bill that's a giant giveaway to Goldman Sachs and to Wall Street. He's got John Bolton making foreign policy decisions for him. The guy who, the hawk's hawk, the guy who makes George W. Bush look like Noam Chomsky. That's what this guy's doing. That's who this guy is. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's listening to whoever's got the most sway around him. You know who's got the most sway around him? The people who got the most fucking money. Assholes like Sheldon Adelson, who wouldn't give a fuck if it, we, they totally ethnically cleansed Palestinians. He wouldn't care. In fact, he supports that shit. Sheldon Adelson once said, we should drop a nuke 
on Iran in the desert to let them know we mean business. And this is the dude who's controlling U.S. politicians. And that's not anti-Semitic. That's factual. It's not saying all Jews are bad. It's saying one billionaire asshole is controlling, controlling politicians through his money. That is a fact. And unlike Ilhan Omar, you come after me for that, I'm not going to, I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize because it's fucking true. It's true, and I'm calling it out. But it's the cynical trick, the smear that has been crafted over the years that is now trotted out. We're going to use identity politics as a cover for real criticism. Vote for me because I, are you with her? If you're not with her, you might be a sexist. Uh, I guess you're an anti-Semite because you're calling out uh, how bad money in politics is and how the Israel lobby biases our politicians in favor of Israel unjustly. These are all tricks. Don't fall for the tricks. Fight back because this story right here is unbelievable and it tells you more about how American politics functions than anything else. Okay. All right, let me do one more. And then we'll take a break. Let's go to Howard Schitt's. Schultz went on MSNBC and Ali Belshi proceeded to hand him his ass on a platter. Here they are debating, I think, the national debt and income inequality. The, the country cannot continue to print money. We are going to run out of money. We're going to run out of resources, and it is a national security issue. It will be, a, a, will be an issue. And in terms of the, of the socialism in which the Democrats are now espousing issues that are so foreign from our democratic process and free enterprise system. If Bernie Sanders, who, who says publicly, I am a socialist, if he gets the nomination for the President of the United States, Donald Trump is going to get reelected. And for some reason, if Bernie Sanders is going to be the next President of the United States, that would be a disaster for our country. So and a disaster for the economy. You said that. Ray Dalio said something about Jamie the Jamie Diamond. Jamie yeah. Diamond said that. You know what? A lot of Americans knew this a long time before you really rich guys started talking about how bifurcated America is. And that's where we are today. So do you get why some people don't really think that you've yeah. got all the answers that you rich guys who are, I don't know, well, I told you that America's bifurcated. Yeah, I, Somebody I came know. to you and told you that there's a problem. Because well, I, I appreciate you calling me a rich guy, but I grew up in federal, I, I grew up in the private really 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 yeah, I'm, I'm self-made and I built a company that employed over 3 million people in the last 40 years and gave health care ownership and free college tuition to every employee. What you get when, yeah, when, when, when the rich guys have, kind of get into the bifurcation yeah, but, conversation that the rest of us have been having for 
decades. Yeah, but this is about a lack of leadership in a government of two sides, Democrats and Republicans, who are unwilling to face the issues and solve America's problem. Why do we have a $22 trillion debt? Why do we have a health care crisis? Why do we have K-12 that's not working? Why is our standing in the world not working? Because of both parties' ideology and unwilling to work together. That's why I'm considering running for president. But why is That's true. Why is Britain bifurcated? Why is France bifurcated? Why is Germany bifurcated? Why were the Arab countries bifurcated? It's not actually about Democrats and Republicans. It's about rich people who don't pay taxes, who don't understand that it's not about charity. It's actually about wealth distribution. Right? right. Why, and wait, that's wait, your explanation. Why is wait, Britain I, bifurcated? Wait, we've told, we're now we're going to talk about what's going no, on. No, but you're telling me that I'm our bifurcation, about, economic bifurcation in America is because of Democrats and Republicans not agreeing on policy? I, why is Britain bifurcated? I'm talking about the lack of leadership and understanding of the fiscal responsibility of elected officials to do the right thing for the American so people. Okay. But that's because that's not the answer in all those countries, and yet the world is bifurcated. I'm not here talking about all these countries. But you're saying I'm that the reason we're economically bifurcated is because of Republican and Democrat policies, and I'm telling you it's a global issue of wealth concentration, not actually about political disagreement on policies. You, you want to talk about each country? You want to put China up here? Well, I think we can cut this any way you want, right? The, 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 how many You're rich wrong. people in America wrong. have the wealth of the bottom half of society? How many rich people in the world have the same wealth as the bottom three and a half billion in society? Oxfam says it's under 10. This what, about 28? I didn't create I policies that. that we are now under. I'm here to tell you that I am looking at the current situation economically in this country, and if you want to solve the problems, you have to have the kind of leadership that cooperates with one another and is not steeped in ideology. Okay, then, Thomas, sure but here's the issue. But yeah, I, guess yeah. I, don't, I don't understand but, how but, that... I'm really clear on how economic bifurcation works. I'm concerned by solving the problem. Right, but the, 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 <laughs> the Republicans and Democrats not agreeing is why Germany. Can I ask you one simple question? Yeah. Should we be spending less than we're taking in? Yes or no? It, no, no, no. It's not a yes or no. It's actually it not a yes or no. Question. No, it's really not. If you're in a recession and you are, you need to stimulate the economy and you have got a return we're on investment. Hold on, let me just let you ask me a question. We're not in a recession. Right, but but the answer in that case might be yes. Yeah. So it's not a yes or no question. So suggesting well, how about right now that you're taking no, no, in. How about right now? In this moment in time when you just put up these numbers about the economy going so well, should we be spending less than we're taking in? We have to understand what we're spending. We you have don't to want to answer the question. No, I, I, I'm actually answering it in a nuanced way that doesn't suggest that there's a simple answer to, to, to these complicated questions that, that plague no. the world. Okay, in all fairness, it's not complicated to me I understand when we that. have such a robust economy and we're spending much more than we're taking in. And why? Because the Democrats and Republicans and this president are not doing what they need to do by right? how to reduce this national debt that we have. Um, Howard Schultz doesn't understand how anything works. He really doesn't. Um, and that was embarrassing. And he should probably drop out, <laughs> even though he hasn't officially announced yet. But that was bad. All this, like, national debt fear-mongering, that's not going to get you any votes. That's not going to get you any votes. Now, he could argue, well, it's important anyway. And I would say, not really. No, it's really not. It's really not. It's not as important as you think it is. It's not nearly as important as you think it is. Uh, we have our own currency. We are the world reserve currency. And if we run deficits, it's not the end of the world. And you had uh, Ali Velshi there trying to explain that to him, trying to say, like, okay, okay, no, hold on now. A government is not the same as a household, so you have 
to balance your budget as an individual. No, the government doesn't have to do that, especially in times of recession. You, wanna, you actually do want a deficit spend because that's going to stimulate the economy. That's Keynesianism 101. Uh, now, the thing is, I don't, think, I don't think he has a full understanding of any of this stuff. Like, I don't think um, Howard Schultz knows the difference between Austrian economics, Keynesian economics, um, MMT, modern monetary theory, as it's called. I don't think he's familiar with, like, one of the points that uh, modern monetary theory economists make, which I think is true because it just reflects itself through the history of economics in the U.S., is that um, deficits, so running up the annual deficit and running up the national debt, that actually leads to private surpluses. So in other words, the private sector, the economy is going to do well when you're running a public deficit. Uh, why? I don't know. Think about it. I mean, yeah, think about it kind of like a credit card in a way where, you know, you, let's say you buy like a used car or something or you lease a car and you put it on the credit card. Technically, now you're running a deficit because you're putting it on the credit card. So now you owe money and it's on the credit card, but you also have the stimulative effect of now having the car and driving it and using it. But again, the, the breakdown and the difference is in Howard Schultz's mind, it's like, well, you have to pay for that right away. And if you don't, that's dangerous. When the reality is, again, a government does not function like a household. Since we, are, we have our own currency, we control our own currency, we're the world reserve currency, we can run deficits. People have been predicting that Japan was, is going to go into a massive recession. And they've been saying it since like the 1990s. And what are they basing it on? They're basing it on the fact that they're, they, have, um, they run high deficits. They have a lot of debt. But they control their own currency, so the recession hasn't come. So he doesn't, like, he's not, I don't think he's familiar. It's one thing if he's familiar with Keynesianism and MMT and, and he has arguments against it. And, hey, here's why I think that's wrong. But I just don't think he knows any of it. He's just like one of those guys like, I don't know, death's always bad. It's always bad, so we got to fix that. No, Howard, I know your fucking billionaire ass is comfy as fuck, but when you got, like, single mothers in Cleveland who are struggling to pay the bills, they don't wake up every morning like, you know, we should really address this national debt problem. No, they're saying I got to get fucking health care and I got to – you know, I'm not making enough money. I need to join a union so I can make more money or I need a living wage or, you know, the fucking road I take to work is crumbling and my tire blew out the other day because of the giant potholes. Hey, maybe we should do an infrastructure bill. Like, the stuff regular people think about is not what fucking Howard Schultz is talking about, man. He's just so out of touch. So his national debt fear-mongering can go take a goddamn hike because it's useless, it's fucking meaningless, and it makes no sense. Um... And I, I like how he tried to object to being called rich. He's like, I'll tell, I'll tell you, yeah, you call me rich, but I grew up in public housing. Bitch, you're a billionaire now. The year's not 1968, asshole. The fuck are you objecting to? He's such a, ugh, he's like a, he's a triggered little snowflake billionaire. And um, then he goes on to argue, and, and I like, Ollie Velshi was trying to stick to the point of like, no, there's, the problem is income inequality and wealth inequality. That's the problem, and that's what's leading to all these societal ills. And Howard Schultz can't help himself but to say, like, no, it's because there's no leadership and because uh, Democrats and Republicans aren't coming together. What? And then Ali Belshi's point was, well, hold on, but we also are seeing these giant issues pop up in Britain and pop up in France, and is the reason why they're in trouble also because Democrats and Republicans aren't getting along. 
And of course, the answer to that is no. The answer to that is maybe it has a lot more to do with the Oxfam fact that they brought up. And by the way, he's closer to correct than she is. I think it's like eight now, actually. Um, the eight richest people have more than the bottom 50%. So eight richest people have more than like 3.5 or so billion people. So that has a lot more to do with our problems. But no, all he does, he has nothing but like platitudes. So what does he do? He goes, well, what we need is people who are not ideological and we need leadership. Howard, everything is ideological. Everything. You think you're non-ideological, but you're not non-ideological. What you are is in the middle of the Overton window in Washington, D.C., which has center-right Democrats and far-right Republicans. So you're just a, a standard right-wing corporatist. That's what you are. You're socially liberal, but you're a standard right-leaning corporatist. That's what you are. I know you don't like labels, but that doesn't mean they don't apply to you. Okay? That, it's, like, it's like if Bernie was like, I don't like, I don't like uh, being called a social democrat. I don't give a fuck if you don't like it. It's what you are. It's a factual description of what is. So I, I, we need non-ideological. There's no such thing as non-ideological. There's no such thing as non-ideological. There's no such thing as non-ideological. You get the occasional person who's in a weird place on the political spectrum, fine. But there's no such thing as non-ideological, you fucking doofus. How old are you? You never thought this shit through and you're running for president? He, and then he always comes back to leadership. We need lead. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. Leadership. We need leadership. That doesn't mean anything, Howard. How will one lead? What direction will they go in? And why is that the better direction? You're just fucking copy and pasting flowery words over very difficult and complex conversations, a conversation that Ali Velshi is trying to have with you right now. Hey, maybe it's more about the income inequality and the wealth inequality as to why the fabric of all these countries is being ripped apart as we speak. And the problem, by the way, is not that Democrats and Republicans don't agree. It's that they agree too much. And as a general rule, 90% of the time when they agree, they're fucking over regular people. Case in point. Democrats and Republicans just came together about a year ago to do more Wall Street deregulation, which is going to speed up our next crash. That seems like a, that seems like a bad problem to me. Another thing they came together for was um, to increase the executive branch's NSA spying powers. So Donald Trump is a thin-skinned lunatic maniac, but we should let him spy on everybody and collect their metadata and all that stuff. The Democrats agreed with the Republicans on that. And the list goes on and on. The list goes on. They just came together to do multi-billion dollar increases to our already offensively bloated and gross military budget. As our country's crumbling, we got billions more to go fucking police the rest of the world and do offensive wars. The problem is not that they don't agree, Howard. The problem is that they agree too much and the priorities are insanely shitty. And you, the thing about Howard Schultz that's so frustrating to me is that he seems to be unaware that he thinks he's like this anti-establishment outsider, but all of his arguments are the wet dream of the establishment. So he's like, oh, don't you guys want to change? Why not stop electing Democrats and Republicans to do the same old bullshit and elect me, an outsider independent billionaire, to do the same old bullshit as I pretend like I'm revolutionary? But you're not revolutionary. Not even close. And finally, this motherfucker, he says one more time, if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, Donald Trump will win. No, Howard, if you run, it's likely Donald Trump wins. All you got to do is chip away 3% of the vote, 4% of the vote, and that massively helps Donald Trump. 
So for him to act like, oh, I'm so concerned about Trump winning, then drop out, bitch, or run and run as a Democrat. Okay? But don't give me this nonsense. And funny enough, let's say in the inconceivable scenario that would never happen of Howard Schultz running as a Democrat and him winning the nomination, that's when Trump would win. I would put every last dollar I had on Donald Trump winning an election against Howard Schultz. You want to know why? Because nobody likes you. Your base is a, a couple dozen D.C. insider assholes and a couple uh, New York Wall Street executive goons. That's who your base is. You have no base. You're the establishment's sack coddler, bro. That's what you are. You have no fans. Nobody likes you. Donald Trump would destroy your ass as you fucking gaslight everybody and act like, oh, concern trolling. Oh, if Bernie's nominated, Trump will win. If Bernie's nominated, Bernie wins in a landslide. The hard part for Bernie is the primary. Once he gets to the general, it's game, set, match, son. And again, I bet every dollar I have on that. But Howard Schultz has no clue what he's talking about, and it's beyond embarrassing. All right, let me take a quick break. When we come back, Obama's back now, and he's gaslighting progressives, so we're going to go after him. And then um, a fascinating story that may or may not surprise some of you, Paul Ryan's thoughts on Donald Trump. We are going to dive into that, so stay right there. We'll be right back with all that and much more.
right, hoes. I'm back. Ugh. Barack Obama's llama. <laughs> oh, I tweeted that the other day and it made me laugh. Ugh. Here's something about this studio where it doesn't matter how cold it is outside. In fact, hold on, let me tell you how cold it is outside. But this studio always feels like it's uh, 20 degrees warmer, if not more. Let's see. Let's see. What's the weather? Eh. Yeah, it's definitely 20 degrees warmer here. It's 57 degrees outside here in New York. 77 degrees is what it feels like in the studio. It could be the middle of the winter and like 25 degrees outside, and in here it feels like it's 70 which feels too hot when you're flailing your arms all over the place like bet on my stork like I do in my videos. All right. Without further ado, here we go. Um, let's talk about Obama. So President Obama is back, and he's gaslighting the left. Take a look. While speaking at a town hall in Berlin, Germany on Saturday, former President Barack Obama addressed divisions within the Democratic Party and outlined his concerns about the fiercely partisan political climate. Quote, one of the things I do worry about sometimes among progressives in the United States, maybe it's true here as well, is a certain kind of rigidity where we say, oh, I'm sorry, this is how it's going to be, Obama said at the town hall organized by the Obama Foundation. And then we start sometimes creating what's called a circular firing squad when you start shooting at your allies because one of them is straying from purity on the issues, he continued. When that happens, typically the overall effort and movement weakens. So I think you have to recognize that the way we've structured democracy requires you to take into account people who don't agree with you. You know, that is so telling because it was what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that? Uh, when we learned that the DCCC has decided every group which helps primary an established Democrat is excommunicated and cut off. So anybody who's coming up from the left and is saying, hey, I think we should make the party more progressive, they are, are done for. They have been financially... Um, financially, I was going to say amputated, but that seems like a weird word to use in this context. Financially cobbled, hobbled. I like that better. They've been financially crippled. And, you know, this is ju Justice Democrats has been flipping out about this. Uh, Ro Khanna has, you know, made this one of his core issues now, and he's tweeting about it on a regular basis and saying, this is insane. This is how I won. This is how Ilhan Omar and AOC won. And um, by the way, you know who else won this way? In 2000, Barack Obama knocked off established, centrist, establishment Democrat Bobby Rush. So the context he's using this in is not to say, come on now, establishment, play nice with the lefties. It's their day. They're coming up. What's your problem? No, he's using this to say, whoa, 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 lefties, don't go too hard on the center. So in other words... These pleas for unity and, hey, chill out, chill out, they only go one direction. They only go one way. 
And the way it goes is, hey, left, chill the fuck out. He's never said, hey, establishment, centrist, stop trying to always undermine the left. He's never said that. Why? Because he's in their camp. He agrees with them. And see, this is the, I wouldn't, I don't even think I'd be doing this segment if Obama came as advertised and he said, you know what, here's the deal, man. My philosophy, my ideology, it's more centrist. It's more corporatist. It's more pro-establishment. That's where I fall. And so I'm going to rep that ideology. And what I'm going to say is, here's why I believe in these things. Here's why this is my flavor of democratic politics. And here's why I'm against the further left camp. But he doesn't say that. He feigns like a me. I'm the most progressive possible option. I was the last Democratic president, and I'm as far left as you can go. I'm the left fringe of that Overton window. So aren't I Mr. Progressive? And then as he pretends to do that, he undercuts and undermines and hurts the actual left. That's why I'm mad about this, because he's gaslighting. If he just said, no, I'm more moderate, and I'm going to rest that ideology, okay, fair enough, then let you and I go back and forth on the actual policy substance, and then fine. People can make up their own mind. You're more moderate. I'm going to represent the left. Let's have that discussion. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't come as advertised. He's gaslighting. Oh, I'm Mr. Progressive, and oh, my, the circular firing squads from the left. You mean the so-called circular firing squads, which just made the left stronger because primaries tend to make the party stronger because you get the better candidates elected who are then more likely to win in the next election? So it's a bad thing that now Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has the strongest Twitter presence and social media presence of any elected congressperson? That's a bad thing? That made the party weaker, not stronger? No, no, no. It made the party stronger. You just don't agree. You just don't agree with our politics, and you can't say it because you have the perception of, oh, I'm Mr. Progressive, except you're not. You're gaslighting the left, and that's what's infuriating about this. He's not being honest. He's not being upfront. And I've never, ever, 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 ever heard these, these people say, oh, establishment, why are you doing circular firing squads on the left? It was a month ago they said we we're going to primary Ilhan Omar. That's what the establishment Democrats said. That's what the corporate Democrats said. Did Barack Obama come out then and say, whoa, 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 with the circular firing squad? She just won. It was a historic candidacy. Her and Rashida Tlaib, the first Muslim women elected to Congress, and you're going to go for them? And again, by the way, this shows how cynical their weaponization of identity politics is. Did the Democratic establishment go, like with the, believe all women, oh shit, now people are accusing Joe Biden of stuff? Well, you know, in this case, I think it's a little bit different, and I think that maybe we should give him some leeway. Well, what happened to believe all women? What happened to, don't do the circular firing squads when they were just saying they wanted Ilhan Omar to go down? Where were you then, Obama? Where were you then? Where were you? You were nowhere to be found because you agree with going after them, because you don't ideologically align with them. Be fucking honest about it. Be honest. See, the difference between the left and the, the, the centrists in this democratic civil war is that the left is honest enough to say, yeah, there's a democratic civil war, and I'm representing the left-hand side of it. Whereas the centrists go, there's no democratic civil war. Unity is wonderful. We all get along. Anyway, undermine Ilhan Omar, kneecap justice Democrats, kneecap our revolution, fight against them, come hell or high water, raise big money from individuals. Story just came out today. They're saying, at the same time, they just said, oh, we need to unify and um, we're going to cut off all the, the left-wing groups. 
the DCCC is still working with groups who are primary Democrats from the right. Stop and think about that. Oh, we're going to cut off all financial uh, assistance and aid to left-wing groups that primary. But if, you're, if you want to primary an establishment Democrat from the right and be further right-wing and more corporatist, we're fine doing business with you. Don't you ever, ever, ever tell me about unity again. You want unity? Bend the knee. Do what we want. And by the way, we're not just saying that as a power move. This isn't just like, oh, we're going to be authoritarian and make you do our bidding. No, we are saying we are here to represent the will of the people according to the polling data. We know that the people are on our side. So you're not bending your knee to us. You're bending your knee to the American people in what's supposed to be a representative democracy. So you want unity? Okay, let's unify behind the most popular politician in America who's the front runner right now. I can't fucking hear you. I can't hear you. Weird. I thought you were all about unity. No, you're not. You're engaging in the democratic civil war while pretending there is no civil war and you're gaslighting. And that alone shows how dishonest you are. I would have a lot more respect for all these people if they would at least come out and say, yeah, there's a split on the left and we're representing the, cent- the, the centrist, the corporatist, uh, the right of the Democratic Party. Just, if you just came out and said it, fine. We can have an honest discussion, but you don't do that. All these slimy, sleazy, gross tricks and cynically weaponizing identity politics and using convenient hypocritical arguments when they suit your purposes. It's fucking gross, man. It's gross. What I would say to you is grow up and be honest and engage on the merit of the policies where we have our disagreements. But here's the thing. They really can't do that because they know they'll lose the argument. How are they going to win the Medicare for All debate when 70% of the country is with us? And they want to go out there, let's do another mealy-mouth, middle-ground, nonsense policy that will have a 48% approval rating like a public option. <laughs> they can't win that argument. So what do they do? They just fucking burn the whole place down. No lefties allowed. No primarying from the left. None. Cut off their financial aid. I can already sense it happening again. They're going to try to kneecap the left, tank the left, and then if they lose the election again, they'll turn around and blame the left, just like they did last time. They fucking rigged the primary against Bernie. The WikiLeaks uh, leaks proved it. it sh- they showed it. They sh- uh, fucking Hillary getting questions in advance. I mean, this is what we're talking about. And then when Hillary loses the election, they have the nerve to turn around and go, they're fucking Bernie supporters. We were telling you the solution all along. We were telling you that Bernie's up in the polls against Trump and he would destroy Trump because he's more anti-establishment and he's more populist and he kneecaps all the areas where Trump is getting his snake oil message through. We warned you. We're the solution. And now you turn around and blame us like we're the problem. And it's going to happen again. I'm sensing it again. Sensing it again. They do every dirty trick in the book and then you fight back a smidgen and they cry foul. Oh, oh, the left has come after us. It's so unfair. You were doing every dirty trick in the book possible. Every one. And then we fight back, honestly, and they all cry foul. It's like back in the day in wrestling. It was Rowdy Roddy Piper. I think he would hit somebody with a chair, and then they turn around and fight back, and he would drop the chair and be like, oh, oh, like he's the victim. Bitch, you just hit him in the back with a chair when he wasn't even looking. Like, what the fuck? Okay, I can't stand it. There's so much... 
disingenuous bullshit in politics. And this is what get, makes my blood boil. Okay, next. So the Israeli government is now coming out and saying it plain. Haaretz reports here, breaking, Netanyahu says he will begin annexing the West Bank if re-elected prime minister. In the era of Trump, he's got total cover in Washington, D.C., where Trump is willing to do whatever Netanyahu wants and whatever Sheldon Adelson and the other big money donors want him to do. So since he has cover, he's just saying, okay, let's just do everything we wanted to do. So uh, for those of you who don't know, and the details of it obviously are are not maybe widely known as they should be, but um, in 1993 they had the Oslo Accords, you know, the the uh, attempt at a peace agreement between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And the Palestinian Authority um, controls 11% of the West Bank, and that's what's called Area A. Now, of course, that's subject to standard, regular, run-of-the-mill Israeli incursions, because that's what they've been doing, and we know that that's what they've been doing, and it's, it's maddening, but that's what's been going on. Um, Then there's also Area B, which makes up approximately 28% of the West Bank. And that is basically run by both Israel and Palestine. So it's under Palestinian civil control and also Israeli military control. So semi-occupation going on there as well. And then Area C is approximately 61% of the West Bank. And that's under full Israeli control. 61% under full Israeli control, even though, according to 164 nations, they say this is illegally occupied territory. Um, So it's Palestinian land illegally occupied by Israel. That's the situation. Now, Israel goes, no, 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 we say it's ours. But again, 164 nations go, "Mm, no, it's not. Now, beyond that, the International Court of Justice has also ruled it's an illegal occupation. And now Netanyahu is saying, I'll ju- I'm just going to annex it. I'm going to annex the West Bank if re-elected prime minister. I'm just going to take it. This is like uh, what, what Trump did with the Golan Heights not too long ago. He said, oh, yeah, um, I'm now declaring it is Israel's. Nobody asked you. Nobody asked you. What are you talking about? It's not your decision to make. What, are you fucking emperor? You go, I, I henceforth declare that the Golan Heights is now Israel's. Doesn't matter. It is officially, legally, Syrian. You don't get, oh, I'm just going to say it's Israel's. Really what this means is, hey, listen, we got the biggest military in the world. We prop up Israel's military, so they're massively powerful as well. We're just going to say, okay, you disagree? Do something about it. And then if they ever were to do something about it, if Syria were to ever do something about it and say, no, this is our land, and they fight back, guarantee you the media in this country and the Israeli government and the U.S. government would immediately play the victim. Oh, oh, we're under attack from Syria. 
You just said you're going to fucking take the Golan Heights, which is their territory. You just said it, and they're fighting back. That's defensive. Oh, no, it's not. Whenever we declare we get something, that's the end of the conversation. It's so, like, again, it's so disingenuous. All these arguments are so disingenuous. Then they have the nerve to turn around. Some people will literally argue there's no occupation. What? What are you talking about? Some people will argue it's not an apartheid-like state when the whole idea would be, hey, certain people can vote here, other people can't vote, but we're under control. What the fuck would you call that then? You have no political power, no rights, and there's a, a, a foreign military that's ruling over you. What do you want to call that? What term would you give that? But all, so many disingenuous arguments and bullshit arguments, and make no mistake about it. You want to know how we got to this position? I hope you're sitting down. Because Ilhan Omar was right. Now, what does that mean? No, it doesn't mean that anti-Semitism is correct. She was smeared as an anti-Semite when she indeed is not an anti-Semite. What she was saying is the Israel lobby has a tremendous amount of power and they get to control politicians because they give them a lot of money. And that is exactly what happens. And in the case of Trump, we just covered the story earlier in the show. You want to go back to it? Fine, we'll go back to it. I don't give a fuck. He, met, he went to Las Vegas, met with multiple billionaire donors behind the scenes, including Sheldon Adelson, who one of his top issues is, if not his top issue, is Israel. So he met, meets with these billionaires. They promise to fund his campaign and the campaigns of other Republicans, and it's a quid pro quo. And, and the reaction is, so what do you want for this? What do you want for the millions of dollars that you're going to give us to run our campaign so that we win and we get to run the country? What do you want for it? Oh, you want us to look the other way and let Israel do whatever the fuck they want to do and continue to occupy the Palestinians and jack uh, Syrian territory and continue to expand and do illegal occupations under international law? Fine. Think Trump gives a fuck? You think Trump has a moral objection to this shit? Are you fucking kidding me? So he meets with billionaires who promise to give him a tremendous amount of money and his party a tremendous amount of money. Then he does favors for them. And Ilhan Omar is the problem for pointing that out? Please. Please. And you wonder why people don't trust the media and why people end up watching YouTube shows like this. Because we tell the truth. We're not going to walk on eggshells. We tell the truth. And the truth is, this is a violent, vicious, apartheid government doing illegal occupation. And it's long past time, not just to force them to make a deal with the Palestinians. I would cut off all aid to Israel until they start doing the right thing. That's $38 billion. That's what that is. And you can cry, and you can scream, and you can call me an anti-Semite even though I know that's not true, and everybody knows that's not true. You can say whatever the fuck you want to say, but we'll do the right thing. Because it takes moral courage to do the right thing, even though you'll be smeared relentlessly and viciously. And unfortunately, no candidate will do that. And it's depressing. So there you have it. Now the criminality is out in the open, and we could all see it. Okay. All right, let's talk about how Paul Ryan feels about Donald Trump.
So here's a fascinating story that may or may not surprise some of you. Then Speaker of the House Paul Ryan told Republicans in 2016 that they could abandon Trump after the release of the infamous Access Hollywood tape, according to an excerpt of a new book cited Sunday by Axios. On October 10, 2016, three days after the tape was released, Ryan told all House Republicans on a rare conference call that they no longer needed to remain loyal to the party's candidate. Politico's Jake Sherman and Anna Palmer claim in A Hill to Die On. Ryan's message on the call was blunt. The pair reportedly write, Republicans should feel free to abandon Trump. I am not going to defend Donald Trump, the GOP leader reportedly added. Not now, not in the future. On election night, as it became clear Trump could win, Ryan told the president, this is unbelievable. It looks like you're going to win. I love this story. And I love this story because, I mean, it really... These guys have made a habit of proving everything I've ever said about the Republican Party correct. <laughs> okay? Now, I have, uh, listen, your average Joe Republican, separate conversation, and we could have a very long and detailed conversation about that, but I think many of them have been misled, and I think, um, I think that there's hope for at least 50% of the people who vote Republican. And that's a bold statement, and no doubt many on, on, of my allies on the left would disagree with me. But uh, I'm optimistic that many people can be switched to the right positions because they're already there and they're just being duped by a shitty party that's basically, in many ways, running on white identity politics. Um, But again, put aside the conversation about the average Joe Republican. The claims that I've made against the elites in the Republican Party and the establishment of the Republican Party, nobody's been more correct. (laughs) I know I sound like Trump now. Nobody's been more right. It's unbelievable. I have the best words. I say the best words. Um... But no, what have I told you from the beginning? Donald Trump is the quintessential, ideal, perfect Republican politician for the establishment, but they don't like his mean tweets. They don't like his mean tweets. They don't like his rugged fighter aura about him. They don't like how impolite he is. That's what they don't like. They hate that stuff. They hate it with a burning passion. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it so much. So what was the thing that finally made a lot of Republicans go, okay, can't do it. I'm not going to vocally support this guy. And again, when I say Republicans, I mean in the establishment. It was when the Access Hollywood tape was released. That was an old school style political scandal where it's salacious. It has to do with sex. It has to do with personal lives. And it was Donald Trump on a bus saying, I grab him by the pussy, I don't even wait. Now, as I've said from the beginning, the the scandal there was not the I grab them by the pussy part. It's the I don't even wait part, which implies there's no consent. I just do it. And then after the fact, they're like, whoa, like what happened here? You know, so that was my thing where I was like, that's why that was concerning to me is that he said, I don't even wait, which implies like, yeah, I just do it. And, And that's super questionable in terms of whether or not there's consent there. Um, but the part that the media focused on relentlessly was the grab by the pussy part, and they didn't really talk about the I don't even wait part, which kind of gave, I feel like, a misimpression of where the real scandal was, because if, if there's consensual stuff going on, that's fine. Um, now, he's still a scumbag because he's cheating on his wife, and that's another thing that, you know, um, those guys say they hate. I don't know if they really hate it, but they say they hate that. But the reason why this was them saying, oh, my God, we're done with him, is because... 
that was one of those things where in puritanical, polite society, that's you've crossed the line, good son, you've besmirched our great name as a party. And so that was the thing that made him go, okay, no more. Notice what wasn't a thing that made him go, enough. Trump said in one of the debates that wages are, quote, too high. And Bernie Sanders later on would use that to clobber, clobber him over the head repeatedly. Trump also said, um, we need a total and complete shutdown of Muslims. Is that what made Paul Ryan say, okay, you guys don't have to support him? Nope. <laughs> Shutting out over a billion people from coming into the country. And again, literally, he said, I'm for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims coming into the country. That didn't stop Paul Ryan. So none of that stuff bothered him at all. In fact, he supports that stuff. Totally fine with that stuff. Um, and it was just the, the salacious scandal where he said too much. But then Paul Ryan ended up going back on what he said here 100%. Oh, I'm not going to defend him, and I'm never going to defend him. That's what he said. Well, this picture over my uh, left-hand shoulder here, you know what's going on there? Here's what's going on there. That's when the Republicans signed uh, their massive, massive tax bill that's nothing but a giant giveaway to the rich. And in that tax bill was the end of the individual mandate in the Affordable Care Act, in Obamacare, which is traditionally viewed as the glue that holds the thing together. So it was kind of like shiving the side of Obamacare. And it, it was viewed as like a death knell to Obamacare, along with Donald Trump's other executive orders that take down Obamacare. And as a direct result of what you're seeing here over my left-hand shoulder, 7 million people lost their health insurance under Trump's time in office. Um, 83% of the benefits of this tax bill that had the individual mandate repeal, 83% of the benefits in there go to the top 1%. It slashed the estate tax massively. In that bill, it incentivizes outsourcing, as many tax experts have warned us in committee hearings. So this bill is nothing but a giant giveaway to Goldman Sachs and Wall Street and the top 0.01%. That's what this bill is. That's what it is. And Paul Ryan is over there celebrating it. You want to know why? Because he believes in it. You want to know what else Paul Ryan believes in? Everything Donald Trump is doing. Policy-wise, he agrees with all of it. He agrees with trying to overthrow the Venezuelan government. He agrees with the bombing eight different countries. He agrees with the massive tax cuts for the rich. He agrees with the Wall Street deregulation. He agrees with the gutting of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which returned $12 billion to defrauded Americans. $12 billion. What does Paul Ryan say? Fuck them. Fuck the regular consumers. I'm on the side of the executives and the management and the owner class. So the dude who said, I will never support him. Turns out you supported him, didn't you, bitch? And you know who is the most honest about all this? Jeb Bush. Because we covered the story very, uh, recently on the show. He did an interview with CNN, and Jeb Bush basically said, hey, listen, I support everything he's doing policy-wise. I just don't like uh, how his lack of leadership, he calls it. In reality, what that means is I don't like how he does the mean tweets and he's a controversial firebrand figure and he's impolite and he's not civil. What Jeb Bush wants is somebody willing to bomb uh, people overseas with a smile on his face. 
and cut taxes for the rich with a smile on his face and with a nice temperament. That's what these guys want. They're all frauds. They're all frauds. And they're all for odious policies that destroy the country. And that's what I need everybody to take away from this. There is no, like, oh, Paul Ryan is one of the good ones. No, the entire Republican establishment is the problem. The entire thing. No matter, no matter how much they try to civility police and tone police, politeness police, that all comes to naught at the end of the day. What matters are the lives impacted by their policies, and they've been impacted in a negative way. And they don't give a fuck. In fact, they support that stuff. So Paul Ryan is a charlatan of the highest order, and I hope nobody gives him credit simply for saying, oh, this is the straw that, that broke the camel's back. Oh, really? That is? That he got caught saying uh, stuff on tape? Some salacious uh, bullshit? That's the thing? So all the policies, totally fine, but oh my God, this tape. Really is incredible. All right, let me take a quick final break. When we come back, I got Bill Maher. I got a bunch of great stories for you. Uh, Bill Maher um, and Pat Robertson. You don't want to miss the Pat Robertson one. He's talking about an issue that's kind of above his pay grade. But stay right there. We'll be right back.
Bye, y'all. All right, y'all, let's make fun of Bill Maher. <laughs> oh, poor Bill. used to like him a lot, man. I did. I used to like him a lot. Not anymore, bro. So Bill Maher went to the mat to defend CNN and MSNBC when they were compared to Fox News. Take a look. Well, if, if Fox News would stop becoming state media... As opposed to CNN and MSNBC? Oh, come on. I, oh, you know, please. you are... Come uh, on. Come on. Come on. The, the, you come on. Let's all come on. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a false analogy. It, no, it, it's actually a totally correct analogy. No, Fox, it's not. Fox News has become Fox, the news of the right, and the others have but become... But Fox News the does not report the bad things. It has fact-checkers. Yes. Oh, yes. sorry. Sorry, dude, that's not a thing. Yeah, it, it, CNN it, it, doesn't have fact checkers. No, I think that CNN has drifted to become the analog of Fox on the other yeah, side. Yeah, they elect Trump. They, 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 they did. They gave Trump the most amazing amount of airtime. And also, I mean... And it, what do you think their agenda was in so doing? Well, it certainly wasn't left-wing. You, know, you can't talk about agenda. It's about, their agenda it's about what the policies are. If you can say things that aren't true, then it's okay. And that's one thing. If you can, say, in other places, you can say things that are not true, and you get but, called on it. You know that's, what? That's yeah, the difference. Yeah, no. Sorry. I'm sorry. You just not watching. Well, there is a level of accountability that CNN and MSNBC have that Fox does not have. They well, demand that apologize. that accountability too? To say I'm sorry for false reporting or anytime they make a mistake, they actually say, if you think Fox ever says sorry, we got it wrong. Oh, I don't watch any of them, but I've seen Fox and CNN and MSN say they got it wrong. You know, Bill Maher always used to talk about how the conservative bubble is impossible to pop, and they're deep in there, and they can't see straight. They don't care about reality because they're so married to their narrative and to the propaganda that's being fed to them. That's how I feel watching that clip about Bill Maher and apparently his marriage to CNN and MSNBC and most of the people on the panel and how they're married to CNN and MSNBC. Because we are literally just coming off of the end of a long debacle, and it's actually continuing, unfortunately, where CNN and MSNBC and mainstream media outlets totally, totally, totally botched Russiagate. And they got it dead wrong. The core claim that was being pushed, primarily on MSNBC, but also on CNN, the core argument of Donald Trump is Vladimir Putin's puppet and he's a Manchurian candidate, that was destroyed. And we know, as a matter of fact, that Mueller says, hey, there's no evidence of collusion, so we can't move forward on collusion. Now, uh, recently, Mueller's team came out and they said, well, the bar summary wasn't totally legit and there were problems with it, and here's why. And they go on to explain that on the question of obstruction, it's not clear because apparently they gave evidence on both sides of the obstruction, um, on the obstruction issue. And I'm not surprised by that at all. Just the firing of Comey alone was like, whoa, you're kind of obstructing justice, aren't you? So... Apparently the Bob Barr, I always call him Bob, William Barr Summary, whatever the fuck his name is. (laughs) Apparently the Barr Summary was not um, totally fair because it was too much leaning on the side of exonerating Trump. Whereas on the obstruction question, that's not necessarily the case. 
But on collusion, it is the case. On collusion, it is the case. And CNN and MSNBC were pushing this narrative that that was definitely there, that collusion was definitely there. And right after this long debacle where mainstream media got it dead wrong, Bill Maher's going to act like, oh, no, it's not the same. Fox, no, but Fox News, Fox News is the Republican propaganda arm. And I'm sorry, Bill, but the reality is MSNBC and even CNN to a lesser degree, but even CNN, they're propaganda arms of the Democratic Party. I know you don't want to believe that. I know you don't want to believe that because you're a partisan hack, but that's the truth. Now, I think it's a fair argument to make that, hey, the impact on the national dialogue is a lot more deleterious for Fox News because they oftentimes push really bad, toxic, far-right ideas and really bigoted ideas. I think that's totally a fair point to make, that, you know, they're not equal in the negative outcomes of, of what they're pushing for. That's a fair point. But that is not the point that they're making. I mean, they're trying to say, like, no, CNN and MSNBC are legit. Fox News is not legit. And no, CNN and MSNBC are not legit. They're propaganda arms of the Democratic Party. And... So they care more about their narrative than they do about the truth. And when they fuck it up like they did with Russiagate, they don't even come to terms with it. Look at what just happened with Rachel Maddow. She's out there the next day going, oh, what? here are 15 questions that we still don't have answered. Oh, is Donald Trump going to admit that Russia did attack our election? Oh. So point is, Bill Maher and his merry gaggle of liberal idiots are just as brainwashed as they act like the Fox News viewers are. And to be fair, the Fox News viewers are. <laughs> they are. They're brainwashed into that Republican propaganda. Marr and his buddies are brainwashed into the Democratic propaganda, which is why Marr fell hook, line, and sinker for the Russiagate nonsense. So spare me your sanctimonious, like... And notice, there was no argument from Bill. They just, come on! Come on! Come on! That's not a point, Bill. That's a smug noise you're making. That's it. That's all that is. So I just hope that people are willing to be objective about this stuff and put all the partisan politics aside. Just look at what's true and what's not. And that's certainly not what Bill Maher does, even though he pretends that's what he's doing. Okay. All right, I think I have one more on President Trump for the rest of the show. Yeah, one more on Trump, and then I got a bunch of great stuff that you're going to like, including Ben Shapiro. So President Trump spoke openly about an insane decision that he made recently. The Daily Beast reports the following. President Trump appeared to admit on Saturday that his controversial decision to recognize Israel's annexation of the Golan Heights was a spur-of-the-moment move. Trump told the audience at the Republican-Jewish coalition gathering in Las Vegas that he made the decision during a a discussion with his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and the U.S. ambassador to Israel, David Friedman. Quote, I said, fellows, do me a favor. Give me a little history quick. I want to go fast. I got a lot of things. I'm working on China, North Korea. Give me a quickie, Trump said. How do you like the idea of me recognizing exactly what we're discussing, he said. 
recounting their conversation. He went on to say Friedman expressed shock at the move, saying the ambassador looked like, quote, like a wonderful, beautiful baby. What? <laughs> Trump granted U.S. recognition of the Golan Heights as Israeli territory when Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu visited last month. The proclamation is a dramatic departure from decades of U.S. policy. The move was widely seen as an attempt to boost Netanyahu, who is up for re-election on April 9th. Now, he goes on to say the following, quote, this is what Trump said about this issue. I went, bing, it's done. It was done. So he's illegally giving Israel Syrian territory, and he's bragging about how, yeah, I just kind of made the decision on a random Tuesday. I was talking to everybody around me. I said, how would you like it if I did this? And they were like, what? And I was like, bing, it's done. Golan Heights is yours. Again, Donald Trump is not the emperor of everything. And also, hilarious, if the U.S. ever argues ever again that this country is violating international law, so we have to do something about it. You just directly went against the international community and international law and pretended like you were emperor of the world and just casually gave the Golan Heights to Israel, even though it's, it's Syrian land. Ah! But see, I don't... He's, He's such an unreflective doofus. I don't think he cares. He's almost admitting I didn't really think about it, but for a couple seconds, and I said, sure, give Israel whatever they want. And yet again, I'm going to come back to my core thesis here. It's all because Ilhan Omar was right. We just did the story earlier. Donald Trump met with multiple billionaires in Las Vegas, including Sheldon Adelson, and Israel's his top issue. And so Donald Trump raises a tremendous amount of money for the Republican Party and for himself from Sheldon Adelson, and then he does exactly what Sheldon Adelson wants, which is give Israel, roll out the red carpet for Israel and give them everything, even things you're not allowed to give them, give it to them. And that's where we are. So um, Donald Trump is a cuck to Netanyahu, the Israeli government, and billionaire donors. That's what he is, and that's what it shows. And you don't have the authority or the ability to give away land like this and think about how much of a destabilizing impact this has. I mean, it's wrong on principle. You can't just give away somebody else's land. But also, it has a genuine destabilizing effect in the same way that the West Bank announcement does, too. This guy's not interested in peace. He's interested in playing for a team, and that team is the team that's giving him financial assistance. That's what it is. It's fair to say he's not fit for this office. He's not. Because at least other presidents, even though many of them were equally corrupt, at least they were contemplative enough and reasonable enough to really think about it and think through the consequences and, and go, I can't do this. This goes way too far. Not Trump. He doesn't give a fuck. But the way in which he doesn't give a fuck is not the way he portrayed it. Like, oh, I don't give a fuck. I'll fight for you, the American people. That's not what he's doing at all. He's going, I don't give a fuck, so I'll just fight for my donors. So in other words, you're like all the other establishment hacks except on steroids. All right, Pat Robertson time. Will I bust out my uh, my Pat Robertson impression? So Pat Robertson has some surprising thoughts on U.S. foreign policy. Um, actually, you know what? Scratch that. This isn't surprising at all. It should be, but it's not. 
Uh, here he is talking about Venezuela, a topic that I'm sure he knows a lot about. It's time for action, and the OAS, the Organization of American States, needs to come together, and it may be it's got to have the Americans to lead it, but I could see, you know, we have very effective drones. We have what are called Hellfire missiles that can be fired from drones, and I believe it's time to give Mr. Maduro a little taste of what he's been doing to the opposition. You know, I think it's bad guy down there in Venezuela. I think we got to go after him. He, not, he making the U.S. less safe. Who will protect Toledo, Ohio from Maduro? Say it with me, folks. Radical Venezuelan terrorism. Radical Venezuelan terrorists going to come after us. I think we ought to drone them. That seems like a good idea. Have I mentioned that Jesus is the person whose philosophy I base mine off of? I love Jesus so much. I love how he's totally pro-peace. Anyway, back to droning. Come on, man. What the fuck is wrong with you, Pat? Did you know Jesus, according to Jesus, in most of his moods in the New Testament... The dude wouldn't even do violence for defensive reasons. <clears throat> this is actually not a <clears throat> not a planned advertisement for Big Seltzer, although it's working out to be that way. Except this is not Big Seltzer. This one's Small Seltzer because it's a very it's weird brand. But anyway. <clears throat> Had part of a granola bar stuck in my throat. Anywhere, what, where, anyway, blah, 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 where was I? Jesus isn't even for violence for defensive purposes. He said, turn the other cheek. And what that means is, if somebody hits you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek and you say, okay, hit this one too. So that is true pacifism. So not even for defensive reasons do you do violence, because violence is inherently evil. You believe, as, as a matter of principle, any kind of violence, even defensive violence, is wrong. That's Jesus in most of his moods in the New Testament. So, for Pat Robertson to not even argue just, hey, self-defense, which is the, my standard for violence, I think it's totally rational and moral to do violence for self-defense. But he's saying, no, let's do offensive violence against them because he's evil. He's an evil, bad dictator. I don't even like him. He's so bad. Any thoughts on the fact that the U.S. supports 73% of the world's dictatorships? Pat? Any thoughts on the current Rohingya genocide going on in Myanmar, a, a country which, by the way, is an ally of ours? Any thoughts on the uh, current bombing and starvation of Yemen, which the U.S. is helping? Saudi Arabia is committing a genocide in Yemen. Do you have any thoughts on perhaps overthrowing uh, Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. Anything at all? It's almost like you use your platform to be a mouthpiece for U.S. foreign policy and the military-industrial complex. I guess it's a good thing that like nobody's listening to you anymore. But uh, Jesus Christ, it really is stunning, no pun intended by saying Jesus Christ, that a dude who pretends to be all about religion and, and 
Christianity and Jesus, it just so happens, it just so happens that for all these characters, adherence to Republican ideology and dogma overrides adherence to, Christ, to Christian dogma. Think about that. For them, politics comes first. That's why they said, I love Trump. Trump, the guy who got caught on tape saying, I grab him by the pussy, I don't even wait. Trump, who's hardline anti-immigration, even though the Bible's massively pro-immigration. Trump, who's bombing eight different countries. Trump, who cheated on multiple of his wives. Um, that dude, the serial philandering fucking debauchery king, that guy, that guy. The money lover, who the Bible says he's, uh, you know, the, said the money changers are evil. That guy. That's the guy who you're going to back because they care more about, Pat Robertson is more about anti-abortion stuff. He's more about tax cuts for the rich. Again, totally flies in the face. Even the abortion stuff is not consistent with the Bible. The Bible says that if your wife cheats on you, she should drink bitter water and that'll make her miscarry. That'll give her an abortion. And that's what should happen. So if your wife cheats on you, the Bible prescribes, get an abortion. Can't make this stuff up, man. But they will only focus on the stuff that bolsters their argument in the Bible and ignore everything else that says the opposite. So they just, again, their real marriage is to Republican politics over a marriage to the philosophy of Jesus or the New Testament or whatever the case is. And it's just such a clear example of it. You know, the, one of the leading Christian televangelists in the country is like, wouldn't it be great if we did a drone strike on a guy who I don't like who's running a foreign country that's not threatening us? I think it's wonderful. All right, now I got another televangelist for you. This one is Rick Wiles. <laughs> You'll get a kick out of this one, that's for sure. Okay. So Christian fundamentalist TV host Rick Wiles had a very public meltdown. When I say very public, I mean on his show, which probably has like 14 people listening. But then it'll be a hell of a lot more once we mock it, and you'll see it now. Um he really lost it over Ben Shapiro and Ben Shapiro's success in right-wing punditry. So this is hilarious. Let's watch, and then we'll talk about it. Ben Shapiro denies the deity of Jesus Christ. I've heard him say this before. What I'm shocked by is that there are millions of conservatives in this country, including Christians, who support him. Yeah, go gaga over him, yes. They'll buy his books, they'll buy, they'll, they'll, they'll... you know, they'll boost his career, and yet he openly denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That makes him an antichrist. Yeah. All right? St. John said that anybody who denies that Jesus Christ came to earth as God in human flesh is antichrist. Yes. There is no one antichrist. There is a spirit of antichrist, and Ben Shapiro has a spirit of antichrist because he denies that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He denies that he's resurrected. He said, we don't even use that word, resurrected. Right? He, he's a Kabbalist. He laughed when he said prophet. He mocked a prophet. Called him a rebel. Called him a rebel criminal. So why, why are any of you out there following Ben Shapiro? Why? You're, you're schizophrenic. Yes. You're spiritually schizophrenic. <laughs> you got to cut off this stuff. But the money's flowing to people like Ben 
Shapiro. Right. And the doors are opening for him because he denies Christ. Pretty sure the doors aren't opening because he denies Christ. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that's not, it's not like, you know, people involved in the political world are like, uh, which right-wing pundit should we invest, invest with? Oh, which one denies Jesus? That's the one we got to go for. What the fuck are you talking about? Okay, so I have an answer for, for Rick Wiles. He's a better charlatan and snake oil salesman than you. See, Rick Wiles is a deep, deep, deep fundamentalist Christian. And when I say that, what I mean is, like, he was, he's been described as an end times broadcaster. Like, that's how Right Wing Watch used to describe him. And it's not like they made that up. It's like they looked at his broadcast, and I think he was one of these guys who would be like, the end times is coming. And he's almost like a caricature of, you know, a hair on fire, fire and brimstone televangelist who is so deeply embedded in his ideology that to him he thinks all this is obvious. Like, look at that conversation they were having. To them it seems obvious. Like, what do you mean? He's a Christ denier, so obviously he's evil. In their circles that they run in, they're like, yeah, that's right. Now you hear that and you're like, whoa, if you're even like a little bit secular, you hear that and you're like, what the fuck? So he calls him an antichrist. Come on, man. I mean, that to me, when I hear this, and we've covered other segments with Rick Wiles where he says similar shit about Ben Shapiro, that's that old school anti-Semitism. Like, oh, you don't believe in my religion? And in his case, he's Jewish. And, you know, there's a large segment of fundamentalist Christians who are deeply anti-Semitic. And then there's other ones who are massively pro-Israel simply because they think the apocalypse is going to happen there. So they don't care that most of the Jews die in that story in the Bible. They're like, fuck them, I don't care. But they want, it, they're massively rah-rah Israel for that reason. So there's this weird mix of like super pro-Israel but anti-Jewish. And that's kind of what you're seeing. You called him an antichrist. He called him an antichrist. A Kabbalist. No, fuck. But, Rick, here's the problem, dude. He's a better snake oil salesman than you. So, Ben Shapiro, you know, I, there's no bigger opponent of Ben Shapiro than me. I disagree with him on basically everything. Like, there are other flavors of conservatism where I'll, I have tiny points of agreement where we can extrapolate on that and not totally hate each other. Like myself and libertarians, okay, we totally disagree on economics, but hey, we agree on social issues, we agree on war, we agree on drug policy, so we can work together on certain things. Even this new brand of paleoconservatives, some of the paleoconservatives are not for all these wars. Great, I guess there's a point of agreement there. Some of them are even somewhat populist on trade policy, and they're not totally anti-tariffs, and they fight outsourcing. Great, we can agree on that stuff. Um, But movement conservatism, which is what Ben Shapiro represents, in my opinion, is basically wrong about everything. And I think history actually bears that out because the closest we've seen to an old-school movement conservative president recently is George W. Bush. And he was, without a doubt, the worst president that we've recently had. Multiple wars on the credit card. Ben Shapiro was a big cheerleader for virtually every war that's been pushed from the military-industrial complex. So he serves as a chief chief propagandist, I can't speak, for the deep state. And, you know, for all the horrible economic policies that have tanked our economy, both leading up to the Great Depression and leading up to the Great Recession and the subprime mortgage crisis, of course, I'm talking about massive deregulation and tax cuts for the rich. Um, He's an ardent, hardcore 
capitalist and, you know, he totally strawmans anybody who's even slightly to the left of him and social Democrats and democratic socialists. And, you know, he uses really disingenuous arguments oftentimes. But the thing is, he's good at making people who don't know this stuff think that he knows what he's talking about. So he packages it in a way and he argues it in a way and he talks really fast where people go, oh, I guess he knows what he's talking about. And he is probably the principal defender of standard Republican establishment politics. Okay, and remember, Trump was not his first. It was more like, I could have been Ted Cruz. I know Steven Crowder was a Ted Cruz supporter. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, but, you know, he was more the establishment Republican variety. So he puts like a young snake oil charlatan, but quick talking, pseudo intelligent face on standard, dumb, right-wing ideology. And he's, there's a market for that that he's cultivated well. And a guy like Rick Wiles, that market is just not that big anymore. The market of like the actual Kool-Aid-drinking, fundamentalist Christian, real Bible-believing, and letting that infect your politics as much as it does for Rick Wiles, there's just not that big of a market for that, and also you don't talk as fast, and also your arguments are worse. Even though Ben Shapiro's arguments are wrong, I can see how other people who don't know this stuff well can fall for them. With Rick Wiles, it's just like, no, you're just really bad at this, bro. Like, you're not good at this. Go pick up another thing, okay? Because you're not going to get anywhere, okay? Like, you exist solely for people like me to beat up on, dude. That's what you exist for. So, um, yeah. The answer to your question as to why he's so popular among Christians, among right-wing Christians, is because those right-wing Christians actually care more about their adherence to Republican dogma and ideology than they care about their adherence to their religion. That's the truth, is that these evangelical Christians, these fundamentalists, oftentimes they are more married to Republicanism than to Christianity. And Ben Shapiro is one of the patron saints of Republicanism and one of the chief propagandists for Republicanism. And you, Rick Wiles, are not. You're kind of sloppy and lost, and you don't know how to craft arguments, even bad ones. So that's why he's a lot more successful than you, and that's why you're going nowhere. And if your response to this is only to sit there and say creepy things like he's an antichrist and do, like, old-school anti-Semitism in response, well, have fun, uh, you know, swimming in place, because that's all that's going to happen. Okay, now we go to climate change, which unquestionably will scare the shit out of all of us. So we have some jaw-dropping new research on climate change, and yet again, the findings are insanely bleak. The last time carbon dioxide levels were this high, Greenland was mostly green. It's now all ice. Sea levels were up to 20 meters higher, and trees grew on Antarctica, according to scientists who warned this week that there is more CO2 in the atmosphere today than in the past 3 million years. 3 million years. 3 million years. 
Using a new computer simulation, researchers at the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research in Germany found that the last time the Earth's atmosphere had a CO2 concentration as high as today's was during the Pliocene epoch, epoch, the geological period 2.6 to 5.3 million years ago. CO2 emissions from human activities are the leading cause of climate change. CO2 levels should not be higher than 280 parts per million without human activity, but they are currently 410 parts per million and rising. Holy shnikes. I mean, this, it, it, every time I read one of these articles, my only takeaway is like, okay, so it looks like we're past the point of no return. Is that where we're at? Am I, am I interpreting this properly? Am I, am I wrong in any way here? Or is that really what's happening? Because that's what, that's what it seems like. It seems like we're past the point of no return. So that's terrifying. That's terrifying to me. I mean, think about that. The last time carbon dioxide levels were this high, sea levels were 20 meters higher. 20 meters. We need, we need to act on this stuff yesterday. I mean, I don't even, what can be done? I think that we need to totally move to renewable energy and technology, but even that is not going to solve the problem um, because a lot of the damage is already done and it's going to take longer for it to manifest. But we also, like scientists need to come up with a way to like vacuum the excess CO2 out of the atmosphere. <laughs> like we were making fun of that article the other day about um, when scientists were like, hey, maybe we should like find a way to get the volca volcanic ash in the atmosphere to block out the sun because that might be our only hope. And everybody was making fun of that. And it's true, you should make fun of it because that's ridiculous. Like it's got, has so many other downsides that we can't even probably fathom at the moment. We don't know about all the unintended consequences. But, like, yeah, we're at that level now where it's like, okay, we have to start thinking really outside of the box and coming up with ideas that maybe could, you know, be radical but actually work and help. Because right now we are it's, – it's kind of amazing that you have politicians who read this. Well, they won't read it, first of all. But second of all, if they did, they'd be like, fake news, you know. Climate's always changing, bro. Weather's always changing. You know, it goes up and down. It cycles. It goes in cycles. Yeah, it goes in cycles. That's right. It goes in cycles. And, um, you know, us pumping fossil fuels into the atmosphere since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, that's had no impact. Well, they literally tell you, if we weren't here, we'd be 280 parts per million right now. But since humans are here, we're pumping fossil fuels out there all the time, we're 410 parts per million. So that's human-induced climate change. And the downside is that, Listen, the downsides of that are not just like sea level rise. I've spoken about this before. But the downsides of that include like famine and drought and wars over water. Do you understand that? Like that's the stuff that really should scare the shit out of everybody. Having massive refugee crises because the Middle East has to empty because it's too hot for humans to live there, which is going to happen at some point. So I, I don't even know what to say. This isn't my area of specialty, climate change. But... What I do know is it doesn't take somebody who has this as a specialty to go, oh, we're fucked, and we need to act immediately. And even with that, batten down the hatches, bitch, because it's going to get ugly. So that's the reality of the situation. And unfortunately, at least half of the people in control in this country don't give a fuck or don't believe it. 
and they're also paid by ExxonMobil, probably in part to make them not believe it. So the status quo is quite literally deadly. This, this next story is for Corin now. This next story proves that we're all fucked, in particular um, Corin from Kyle and Corin is fucked, and maybe to a slightly lesser degree myself. Study finds bad diets kill more people than smoking globally. Oh boy. <laughs> now, I've been eating okay recently. It's not great, but it's not that bad. Um, Corin has said, oh, I'm going to eat good, starting after the tour that we did where we went to each fast food place. Um, but no, he's still eating like shit. So I hope everybody's paying attention here. If you're in the same group as me and Corin, which I doubt many of you are, a lot of you guys probably eat pretty well. The study published Wednesday in the journal Lancet examined people's eating habits from 195 countries to establish a link between diets and death rates. The researchers said their findings, uh, they're finding that many diets are low in key nutrients highlight the need for a shift in how people approach their eating habits. Our findings show that suboptimal diet is responsible for more deaths than any other risks globally, including tobacco smoking, highlighting the urgent need for improving human diet across nations, they said. This finding suggests that dietary policy is focusing on promoting the intake of components of diet for which current intake is less than the optimal level might have a greater effect than policies only targeting sugar and fat, highlighting the need for a comprehensive food system uh, interventions to promote the production, distribution, and consumption of these foods across nations, they wrote. The study attributed 3 million deaths to diets containing too much sodium, another 3 million to a lack of whole grains, and 2 million more to inadequate amounts of fruit. The largest gaps uh, between current and proper intake levels were observed for nuts and seeds, milk, and whole grains. So, I mean, this is interesting because that's really mind-blowing, isn't it, that 3 million deaths are directly related to diet and it's killing more people than smoking? I guess if one could argue it's hard to quantify that, but I tend to trust the study. I don't know how they went about quantifying it, but it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem impossible to me that that's the case. And it's interesting that they said this is because people are having too much sodium and then also they're lacking whole grains and fruit. And so they're just not overall not eating healthy. Now, I, the thing is, I don't know how to address this because I don't, there's no way you could do it from the top down. I don't think there's any way the government can or even should get involved in this kind of stuff. I mean, I guess they can, but that's going to lead to such a fierce backlash, and I would even be part of that backlash. Like, I always want the option to have a burger and fries or to have whatever the fuck I want that's not good for me. But it's just, it really, this is one of those instances where my libertarian side beats my leftist side. And I say, listen, I'm going to make the decision, and even if I make the wrong decision, that's my business. Um, but, yes, I should make the right decision, and there should be education, and people should know exactly what, the healthy stuff is, and there is kind of like a lack of education on that front, but even if you have more education on that front, that I don't know if that will necessarily correlate to people eating better. I think at this point, like a shitty diet is so embedded in the culture of America that I don't know what to do about that. I don't know. You can't do it top-down government style. Look what happened when, 
Michelle Obama, all she did as a first lady initiative was like promote healthy eating in schools. And there was a giant backlash to that. And it's like, well, she, all she's saying is obvious shit. Like, hey, fruits are good, vegetables are good. And people are like, oh, how could you with your big government bullshit? But that's not bullshit. It's actually totally true. So if there was a backlash to that, imagine if there was actually some sort of attempt to control top down, like what you can buy and how much of certain things you can buy. I, I'm, just, I'm just against that. But there does need to be some sort of a cultural shift in terms of how people eat, especially in the U.S. Because if you look at, like, the Mediterranean diet, for example, that's overwhelmingly viewed as massively healthy. And people in certain areas that are eating fresh foods and, like, they're living a lot longer and they have more active lifestyles here in the U.S., we have very sedentary lifestyles because we're all sitting behind office desks. And we also are fucking high on fast food because it's so easy to get. And, you know, it's just so simple. I mean, would I be in favor of, like, tweaks around the edges to make the shitty food slightly less shitty? Maybe. I could see that. Um, but beyond that, I wouldn't go any further. I really do think this is one of those issues where it does come down to personal responsibility. And then even if you fail on that front, that's your business, you know? And some will say that's cold. Some will say that won't fix the problem. To which I respond, you could be right about both those things. Maybe it is cold, and maybe it doesn't solve the problem. But I value the freedom to make those wrong decisions more than I value the positive outcomes of making the right decisions, if that makes sense. And, but that doesn't mean I wish bad on people and I want them to eat shitty. I hope everybody gets their shit together and eats better, but that's on them. In the same way it's on me now. You think I'm not in the struggle? Look, I grew up, I was fed fast food as a kid, and then at a certain point you get addicted to it. And we all end up like Trump where he's eating Wendy's and he's like, this is the best fucking thing ever. And I'm like, damn right, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. I guess I could blame my mom. Like, why'd you get me hooked on this shit when I was a kid? And now it's hard to get off of it. But, yeah, it really does come down to, you know, you. And because and, the, the stuff is there. You could argue, like, hey, there's some pesticides on certain fruits and that should be fixed. Okay, fair enough. Like, there are other problems, sure. But generally speaking, you can get vegetables, you can get fruits, you can get whole grains, you can eat healthy. It's just most people are choosing not to. Some of it for cultural reasons, some of it just for taste. I get it. I get it fully, man. But I don't know what to do about this. I'm not denying the results of the study. I think it's true. I just don't know what to do about it. <laughs> so we're in a weird place where it's like, oh, shit, eating is uh, worse for you than smoking. And what are we supposed to do? I don't know. I don't know. Again, I'm not in favor of a top-down solution because that's too authoritarian. That's too big government-y for me. Can't do that. Um, but... I guess the only solution, and it might not even necessarily help, is just better education for people so they know the deal. Like, hey, by the way, if you eat this, you're probably going to die young. I'm with that. I'm all for facts and information. So teach people, like, no, seriously, this, not good. You're not going to want it. It's going to fuck you up. <laughs> like, you can do that. I'm for that completely. But um, no, like, laws regulating, because who doesn't want on, on for a cheap meal or something, you get a fucking... That, just that meal right there, bro. You kidding me? House that shit. I need two of those burgers and those fries. I don't fuck around, dog. But anyway, um, three million. Eating shitty food is worse for you than smoking. All right. Final story of the day. Somebody send this story to Andrew Yang. I think he's going to like it. 
So we have some new findings on universal basic income. This is in Vox. They say, Finland's landmark experiment with basic income, the idea that the government should, be, should give citizens a regular infusion of free cash with no strings attached, is showing promising results. After the government chose 2,000 unemployed citizens at random and gave them checks of 560 euros, which is $635, every month for two years ending last December, the recipients reported less stress than the control group. That was true even for recipients who felt they were still struggling to make ends meet, according to new findings released by Kella, a Finnish government agency. The recipients also reported that they felt more trust toward other people and social institutions, from political parties to the police to the courts, than they did before getting a basic income. The new findings add to initial results released in February that showed receiving free money made recipients happier without making them any less likely to join the workforce. Although this wasn't everything the Finnish government was hoping for, its stated goal was to boost employment. It still offered an important counter to critics of basic income, who often claim getting free money will induce people to work less. The evidence does not support that. So as Andrew Yang often points out, there's another long-term experiment going on with universal basic income, and that experiment is in Alaska. You have, I believe that it's tied to oil production in Alaska. Everybody gets a check every month or once a year, I think it's every month, um, because the oil is viewed as collectively owned by the people of Alaska, so they get money every month for it, and it's free money, no strings attached. And what's interesting about this idea is it has um, bipartisan appeal, cross-ideology appeal, because leftists support it so long as the amount of money that you're getting is equal to or more than the current amount of money you'd be getting in, in standard safety net benefits, and, you know, Republicans like it because uh, Milton Friedman supported it. He was a libertarian. And you could, I mean, you could kind of view it as almost like a tax credit. Like, okay, well, this is your money because it's your oil. The people own the oils, public lands. So this is just you getting what is already yours. You see what I mean? Like, that's the, the argument that a Republican governor apparently made when they implemented this in Alaska was, hey, it's... It's your money. Do you want the government to have it and have it away from you, or do you want to have your money? And people obviously said, we'll take the money. So it's got cross-ideology appeal. Now, again, some people on the left have recently grown like against it, but it's for really bizarre reasons I can't wrap my head around. It's almost like the only point they're making is, oh, it was originally a right-wing idea. But that's not necessarily an argument against, like, why don't you support it? That's not enough to say, oh, I don't support it because of that. No, well, and then? Like, is there an and then there, or you just... Like, by definition, because it's technically uh, originally a right-wing idea, I'm against it. I would understand opposing it if the idea was, hey, scrap the entire social safety net and give people a UBI, and that amount of money that they're getting for a UBI is less than what they would have been receiving in social safety net benefits. Then I totally get opposition to it, and I would join the opposition to it. And if I'm not mistaken, that was probably what Milton Friedman supported. He wanted to get rid of the entire social safety net and then replace it with just a flat UBI payment, and the UBI payment would be net less than what you were receiving in safety net benefits. So it's a net cut in benefits, which, of course, the left is going to oppose that. But that's not what Andrew Yang is talking about. That's not what other lefties are talking about. Lefties are talking about either, either keeping the social safety net as is and then adding the UBI on top of it, or they're talking about yeah, you can get rid of some of the safety net programs, but you have to give equal to or more in a, in a UBI payment, which, again, would mean it's a lefty idea, too. So it's got, uh, you know, it's got cross-partisan appeal, and it makes sense that it does because it's, 
it's reasonable. Now, Andrew Yang, and he's running on this issue in the Democratic primary, he frames it as the freedom dividend because he's saying we're going to chain it to um, technology, we're going to chain it to Silicon Valley, and, and how we're moving towards AI now, and you're going to have machines doing the work for you. And so that's what it's chained to. It's not like free money based off nothing. It's No, it's, built to the, it's connected to the productivity of that industry. It, so that makes sense. But me personally, I actually like the framing of Social Security for All better. Because Social Security overwhelmingly polls popular. People love Social Security. And in the same way that the left at a certain point changed the framing on single-payer health care, like nationalized health care, they don't say that. We say Medicare for All. Because Medicare is already popular. Just expand it to everybody. Okay. You do the same with UBI. Social Security goes to older folks. Why not have Social Security for all? It's like an allowance for everybody. Again, I think that'll be massively popular. And again, I think the core argument against it that's made from the right, from certain factions of the right, is this is going to disincentivize work. And what this study showed is that most definitely is not true. What happened in Alaska? Same thing. That It's not true. If you get a little bit of money to make ends meet and survive... The overwhelming majority of people don't go, I'm good, bruh. I'm just going to chill like this right here. No, people don't do that. The overwhelming majority, maybe a tiny number of people will do that, but the overwhelming majority of people are going to say, okay, but I'm, I still want to be active and I still want to uh, have meaning in my life and feel like I'm being productive and feel like I'm living a life that's worth living as opposed to rotting away and just getting a check. So uh, the core objection to it false flat. And I think that's important to point that out. So there you have it. Andrew Yang is on to something. I hope other Democratic candidates run on this issue as well, because it shouldn't be a fringe issue. It should be right up there with the other things that we're talking about, because I think it's just as important. Okay. All right, guys. Love y'all. Not sure there's a show on Thursday, but I'll update everybody on the Twitter account. Um, Love you. I'll talk to you soon. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. Peace.